0: me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's at this point in our worship service that the Lord grants rest to his people as they make their pleas known to him. Let us now then go to our Lord in prayer. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you according to your mercy and grace that you are not a distant God, but you are a close God. And in that closeness we come, O Lord, as your own children, calling upon you to intercede, O Lord, in our world. Come, O Lord, and work. We pray, O Lord, for our own country. We think today of our local uh, government. We think of the city of Troy, Edwardsville, Collinsville, and the many others that are located around as represented in our congregation here. We pray, O Lord, for those who are in office, uh, those who are mayors, those who are on city councils. We pray, O Lord, that you'd give them wisdom, mercy, and grace as they rule over us. O Lord, we pray that Their laws, their jurisdictions would grow and cause the people of our towns to prosper. But we pray, O Lord, that as they rule, O Lord, they would rule in a manner that honors you. That by their laws they would not sin against those who are under them or those within the community. But instead, O Lord, that they would promote righteousness or right living within the towns therein. We pray also, O Lord, for uh, the ministry of the church. We thank, O Lord, this morning of the women's ministry as found in Ileana Presbytery. We pray, O Lord, and thank you for this ministry um, for our women, among our women. We pray, O Lord, for Chris Lawler as she is very engaged in this effort. Give her wisdom, grace, and mercy as she seeks to lead this ministry. But we pray, O Lord, that through this ministry the women of Ileana Presbyterian, and even the women of our own church would continue to grow in grace and truth. That they would become better women. That they would grow in sanctification and holiness. That in this leadership, that they would also lead other women to growing in grace and holiness as well. We pray, O oh Lord, for these various leaders. And we pray that you'd grant them mercy And that you'd bless them with the fruits of their labor. We also pray, O Lord, for those who are lost. We think of those who are lost in North America. Let's think of those lost in Canada or Mexico, as well as our own country here and in Central America as well. We pray, O Lord, that you would continue to raise up gospel ministers to go out through the far reaches of this continent. And we pray, O Lord, that through their work that there would be great conversion within our own side of the world. We pray, O Lord, for the lost in Canada. There are many, O Lord, PCA churches, but not enough. And so we pray, O Lord, that you would perhaps, if you would tarry, if you would work and plant many gospel-believing, even Presbyterian churches there in Canada. We know that it is a difficult soil there. And so we pray, O Lord, that you would use the tenderness and the courage found within the gospel for those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to preach the gospel well and regularly. We pray, O oh Lord, for the same end in our own country, though the, the ground may be more fertile than there in Canada in many respects. We pray, O oh Lord, for revival within our land. We pray, O oh Lord, for a church that would tether itself to not only your scriptures, O oh Lord, but to you. We pray, O oh Lord, that the waywardness that we often see within American Christianity would subside, and that there would be a, a devotion, that there would be a greater devotion, O oh Lord, to you your and your work. May we not be, O oh Lord, distracted by the whims of the world, but we pray that your gospel, as it gives us life here this morning, would be used and revealed to show the life it gives to all who come in contact with it. We pray also, O Lord, for our own congregation in that regard, that you would stir within us the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would learn the steadfast love of the Lord and use that love and wield it in such a way that permeates love in all of our relationships. We pray, O Lord, that we can learn as a people to better love you as our God. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But also, O oh Lord, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Our neighbors found, O oh Lord, within our own household, within our children, than our parents, than our spouses. May we be a people that exhibit the love of Christ in our own homes. But also, O oh Lord, with those who are truly neighbors to us. For those who are outside our homes, those whom we come in contact with regularly, may we have a temperament of love. May we grow, O oh Lord, in this grace. May you give us this virtue in such a way that we can see its fruit in all of our lives. We continue in that same, that same vein of love to pray for Joanne Ostendorf as she'll have skin grafts done here soon. We pray, O oh Lord, that they would take well that you would continue to keep her spirits cheerful and joyful in the Lord Jesus Christ. But, O Lord, raise up among us saints to care for her well and to minister to her even as she continues to heal. We pray, O Lord, that this is the last surgery and that through this surgery Joran would heal and heal quickly. Give her strength. Give her mercy and stir our heart to call upon you now as you stir ours in like manner we pray all of this in Jesus holy name amen I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1 we'll be picking up in verse 39 verse 39 today we hear Mary's song concerning the coming of the Lord jesus christ gabriel has visited mary and after that visit she quickly packed her things i mean what else would you do you get a vision from the you get a visit from an angel he gives you one point of contact for what you should do next and so mary listens and heeds she will not have the angel for long and she so she does what any sane person would do if an angel visited me and told me that i have a sign for you and it's in your cousin I would certainly hop on a plane tomorrow and travel to North Carolina. Mary had a vision. She had a visit with the angel Gabriel and she packs her things and she journeys to her cousin's house. A young pregnant virgin traveling far to see the sign that the Lord had given to her. Her song though is probably what we'll spend most of our time thinking about this morning. The Magnificat. The, la- the name comes from the Latin root And it is the very first word of that song if you look down at verse 46 when Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary magnifies, the magnificat, the Latin word there, magnifies the Lord. May we magnify the Lord then as we hear the reading of His Scripture. Stand with me as we read verses 39 through 56. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to the town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear, from generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoken to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her for three months and returned to her home. Here ends the gospel lesson, and this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This is a true showstopper of an event that we have here in Mary's great song. I don't know if you like or enjoy musicals. I'm not the biggest fan of musicals, but sometimes I do like to listen to some of the albums or even watch some of the movies or even spectate and actually go and see one. And one of my favorites, as is probably yours, is perhaps Les Mis. Les Mis is an enjoyable Broadway musical, but when it opened in 1985, it was torn in with terrible reviews. The reviews were that it was bloated, dreadful, and witless. It was not loved as perhaps it is loved Now, today, maybe you agree with those reviews. It's just a bloated, dreadful, witless Broadway performance. But nevertheless, near the end of Act One of Les Mis, there is a showstopper. A showstopper that you probably know one more day. A song that would be sung by the entire cast. Everyone would have their own solo. And in one more day, you got a picture of every major character. What their hopes were what their desires were, what they hoped to come in Act 2. And it evaluated perhaps everything that happened before. It was a real showstopper of an event, a great song that I would encourage you even to listen to for your own enjoyment, a masterful piece that halts the story of Les Mis and leads it into a great, magnificent crescendo. You must wait, though, for Act 2. It is somewhat analogous what is happening in Luke, verses uh, 39 through 56. There is a showstopper of an event. It is crescendoing, and as it crescendos, the story stops by the Song of Mary. Luke wants us to slow down. There is a big event that has taken place here in her meeting with her cousin. We must slow down. And think of the significance here. Act 1 and God's redemptive plan is coming to a close. And it comes to a close through the work of John that will be born as Act 2 begins in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. The old covenant is now done and now make way for the new. It is a showstopper, a song that perhaps we should learn to sing like we might sing some of our ma- favorite musicals. But what does Mary do? She urgently rushes. After the meeting with the angel, she rushes to be with her cousin. She meets Elizabeth, and in the doorway, Elizabeth quickly announces great blessing and greeting, great praise, perhaps even a song of her own, as John leaps with joy in his mother's womb. The joy that would have to be interpreted by his own mother trying to figure out the significance. Why would John leap he is beginning his ministry as he meets with the mother of the one who would bear jesus mary is being prepared in this passage for the coming of her lord through the work believe it or not of an infant john from the womb and so are you For the same joy that Mary possesses in this passage is a joy of salvation that is offered to you. The same John that prepared the way for both his mom and his aunt is also preparing a way for you. The same joy that she experiences of the miraculous conception of her own son is a joy that we can all experience here today, Sure, Mary's experience is unique. She is the mother of the God-man. But her joy here is the same. For the same God that would save her in her womb is the God that saves you. And so the miraculous conception should evoke joy in your heart. And there are three reasons in this passage on why. Why should the miraculous conception evoke joy? Well, first, we learn that it is because Jesus is Lord. That is the declaration that John makes from the womb, is that Jesus is Lord. As Mary makes haste to her cousin, she does so eagerly. You see in your own Bibles as you look down, it says that she made haste, but there's more to that. She eagerly goes after the sign that the Lord had given to her. She goes with fervor. She goes with earnest commitment. She desires to see what the Lord had prepared for her. She is pregnant, yes. She is in such an early state. There is no symptoms that would communicate so. She wanted to see the sign. If Mary was indeed pregnant, or if Elizabeth was indeed pregnant, perhaps so am I. And so Mary, what does she do? She travels about 100 miles to see her cousin. She was 12 or 13 at the time. We have no information on whether she went with a caravan or with anyone, but know that Judea and Israel was a rugged wasteland, a Mad Max sort of affair of experience. I don't know if you'd send any of your daughters out to travel 100 miles to Carbondale on foot in the middle of maybe the summer. It seems almost perplexing from the modern lens how and why would Mary make such travel, but she is undeterred. She fears not. She has her eyes set on the prize, often as you do. She is not focused on the potential burglars or those highwaymen that would seek to rob her, or worse, she's focused. She fears not as she goes to meet with her cousin. Imagine the, the, the affair of that Sight-to-sight eye contact for the first time. Two women touched by God. One is a senior citizen and is with baby. Six-month pregnant, starting to show, of course, a true geriatric pregnancy if there ever was one. And then a 13-year-old pregnant virgin in wonderment as she sees Elizabeth's baby bump. Her first thoughts, I couldn't imagine nonetheless that it must be true for me as well. That is, what ex- that is how this exchange starts. By the very sign of grace that God has given to Elizabeth and now to Mary, she sees that it is true. She is pregnant. A poet, uh, Shaw, uh, describes the encounter in his poetic work like this. Framed in light, Mary sings through the doorway. Elizabeth's six-month joy jumps, a palpable, a palpable greeting, a hidden first encounter between a son and the son. A great and wonderful meeting. But what does this meeting do? It begins almost imminently in verse 41. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her Womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that had condescend and come down to Mary in order to have the, the conception, the miraculous conception of the Lord Jesus Christ, now condescends onto Elizabeth. And this work of the Spirit here is to interpret what John has done in the womb. The baby leaps in his mother's womb and everything to come after in Elizabeth's own words is an interpretation of that leaping. Babies leap often uh, in the womb. As you become a father, perhaps you feel the stomach of your wife as she feels the baby jump. Some babies are more active than others. Sometimes we're worried because the baby hasn't moved a lot. But certain experiences, whether they be labor or otherwise, are different types of movement that you feel. Obviously, I have no experiential knowledge of this. But this was different. This leaping was no ordinary leaping in Elizabeth's womb. It was different. There may be perhaps as different as contractions are to leaping, it was unique. It was so unique that it demanded. interpretation this isn't the first time that babies did some tussling in the womb you remember Jacob and Esau as they fought in the womb and that was very clearly interpreted by the family of God therein that they would be a tussling group for all their lives God does interpret what happens in the womb even if we ourselves think so lowly of infants the Lord has and does work even with the smallest in the womb and he works here he works here by John's leaping to show Mary that the one that she, bear, that she bears is truly the Son of God. The one that he is to lead others to, he now leads Jesus' own mother to. It's quite astonishing. The forerunner begins his ministry far before he's ever even born. He begins his ministry six months in the womb and he begins his ministry with his own mother and his own aunt. And this is basically what he says as Elizabeth cries out, "Blessed are blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb." How does Elizabeth know? How could Elizabeth know? A newly pregnant virgin 13-year-old girl is before her. how could she know? It's because of John's ministry as it's interpreted through the spirit to her. Blessed Are you among women? I'm I'm sure that Elizabeth has gotten cued in at some point. There have been a lot of questions that she would have had to her husband. And I'm sure he tried his best in his mute tongue, probably frustratingly, to communicate what was happening in her life and what was expected to come after. But there's no doubt in our minds that what Elizabeth is saying here is something that is given to her by the Spirit of God. Blessed are you. And, and this blessing is exclaimed because of what the Savior in her womb would do for her. Yes, she is blessed in the sense that she bears the Son of God. But she is even more blessed that the Son of God she bears will be the one that saves her. She'll be, he will be her greater. In verse 43, we see why she is blessed. For the mother of the Lord should come to me. This is the first time in John that Jesus is called the Lord. A Lord that would be greater than Mary, greater than David. The focal point of this passage before the doxological praise of Mary is that one word. How could you, the mother of my Lord, come to me? It's unmistakable. Elizabeth knows who Jesus is before he is born. And she knows because of the son that she carries. It's astonishing. She had a mute husband who could not communicate at least effectively. And the Spirit ultimately comes to reveal to her the coming Christ. It is a humbling experience. It must have been frustrating in some regard as Zachariah, for the better part of six months, has tried to explain the situation going on. And he has had no bearing of fruit for that. And it takes the work of the Spirit to reveal to Elizabeth what is going on. And in, in such a way that she now knows more than her priest husband who was mute. He must have been so excited as she came in bearing this news as Mary came in with her. But it is a humbling reminder for all of us that sometimes, though we do our best efforts, we end up being just like Zachariah, mute Zachariah, trying to share the gospel and we're doing no better. We sound, uh, as you may, in your best confidence, everything is inconceivable. You, no one even understands. It is just a confusing mess coming out of your mouth. It is the gracious reminder that no matter how great we are at sharing the gospel or even representing the gospel, that the Lord works despite our best efforts. That's perhaps why Zechariah is even mute. Though he has all the right answers as a priest prepared to share, it's the Holy Spirit that ultimately reveals. It's true for Elizabeth, it's true for Mary, but it's also true for you and me. At the end of this passage, I know we're jumping to the end, it's just so that we can get to the middle most quickly. But at the end of this passage, in verse 56, if you look down, Mary stays with this family for three months. Uh, what happens at the end of this three months is that the baby is born. Mary stays through the birth of John. But what is striking is that there is no mention of the birth of John. And why? It's because John's birth is not what's important. John's birth is not the most important event that happens in these first two chapters. It has just passed by because what John seeks to do, even in this passage, is he's pointing away from himself as he points to Christ. And therefore, his own birth isn't even recorded in Luke. But certainly he is born. And Mary goes on her way as she sees baby John eye to eye, knowing that he will prepare the way for her son. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. Why does the miraculous conception evoke joy? Because Jesus is Lord. The same Jesus that saves Mary and Elizabeth here and John as well is the same one that brings us our salvation. And therefore, it should evoke joy. When we hear from the Spirit of God within our own hearts and souls that Jesus is Lord, it evokes joy. Do you remember the time where you first heard the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit worked in such a way that you believed it? It was a joyous occasion in sixth grade when I heard the gospel for the first time. I remember thinking as a sixth grader, I've wasted every moment before. And now I know the Christ that has come. I always felt so disadvantaged as a young believer because it took till sixth grade to learn the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ, I felt like I wasted all my elementary years. It's quite funny now, in hindsight, as I've doubled in age at least. But when you experience and know the Lord as Jesus, as Lord, it creates joy. It creates joy when you come into contact with the miraculous conception for the first time. It evokes joy but not only that jesus is lord of course but what does jesus bring as lord that is where mary wants to slow us down what does it mean that jesus is lord that is the song that she produces to transition us from act one from the old testament to act two found within the new testament what does it mean that he is lord well we see that in her great song first we see that she that Jesus as Lord is one who lifts up the humble. Why should Jesus and his conception create joy? It is because he lifts up the lowly. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary, as we have just read just a few moments ago in the Old Testament, we read Hannah's song, Mary's song almost mirrors it in many ways but it is even greater mary though she a lowly servant girl of age 13 certainly doesn't know how to read provides us with rich theology it's incredible she references all sorts of old testament literature genesis deuteronomy the book of samuel job psalms isaiah ezekiel micah habakkuk zephaniah she is well versed in her bible She takes all of those books and she weds them together and what are they pointing towards? They're pointing towards the Christ to come and that Christ comes to lift up the humble. He comes to lift up the lowly. We see that she calls on on the Lord that she in her soul would magnify the Lord. The idea and the image, if you think of a magnification, if you have... A science set with a little scope that you look in and magnifies what's there. Or perhaps uh, as you're reading your newspaper, you grab the magnifying glass in order to make those words a little larger. That's what my grandfather always did. Always have a magnifying glass in one hand whenever he had a note with words in the other. To magnify it, to make it large. That is what Mary is praying for, that her soul would be made large for the Lord. Make me your, whole, your lowly servant large, not for my own sake, but for your sake, so that I may glorify and rejoice in your name. Lift me up, O oh Lord. I want to know you better so that I can exclaim your greatness to others better. She wanted her capacity to grow. It's kind of like your capacity with coffee. The first time you had it, you may have winced. I remember my grandma offering it to me when I was a boy and I would wince. I'd be, oh, this is just so bitter. I can't fathom why anyone would ever drink that magical drink. But as you grow, you understand its efficacy. You understand that, yeah, you may start diluting it at first with creams and sugars, and you may that's where you've ended. But after you dilute it so long, maybe your appreciation grows to such a place or you just want the, the straight dark black coffee. It's dark roast, dark coffee injected into me. I need it. I need the miracle of coffee. I, I, the coffee is magnified in my life over my time. I have more ways to brew coffee than some of you have children in this room. Except for maybe one family. I will name <laughs> them. I will not name them. Don't have that many my heart magnifies coffee now it has grown I've grown to appreciate it I've grown to love it and I now look for the notes how is this coffee different than that that is kind of in some analogous way what Mary desires she desires to grow She desires for her appreciation to grow in the Lord, that in the Lord magnifying himself in her heart, she would have a greater capacity to enjoy him and in that capacity declare his greatness as a lowly servant girl. Verse 48, she recognizes her own lowliness. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, for now on all generations will call me blessed. This is not her exalting herself, but her coming to the grips with that she will be blessed and saved by the son that she has in her womb. But verse 49, for he who has done a mighty thing in me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for all of those who fear him from generation to generation the great gospel of the lord jesus christ to mary and those who are like her is that though she is lowly she will be lifted up and that is the same promise for every single human being in here who is lowly lowly because of your sin lowly because of your lot in life he will raise you up you call upon him This is the very preparation for what Mary is talking about with the life of Christ, As He would come and He would heal those who are sick and lowly. He would heal those demon-possessed people who were the, the pits of every society. He would come and reach out and restore discredited, shameful sinners, friendless pariahs, preaching good news to the poor the ministry of christ would come for the lowly and he would not leave them low he would raise them up i was reading a story of a doctor in the turn of the 20th century that went to china in order to do medical missionary work there and this is how he recounted this lowliness within the chinese people in their villages so as i felt disgusted by the dirt and poverty and felt angry as I saw begging street children with injuries and wounds likely inflicted by their owners so they can get more money. I also recalled that it was into a poor and backward corner of the Roman Empire that our Savior came. And he was accused of spending his time with the wrong people. The greatness of his heart's love is seen in all of this. For our nicest dwellings are yet dumps compared to the heavenly courts that reign on high maybe today you feel and are like young and poor mary perhaps you are struggling with sickness physical limitations you can't do what you once once were able to do perhaps you are low in a low condition spiritually emotionally relationally this is your situation do not complain as our hearts often go to, calling to the Lord, I deserve so much better than this. Instead, be like Mary, who humbles herself in the presence of the forerunner as he prepares the way for the Christ. Remember, as your Bible say in James chapter four, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. If you're low today. Call upon him in your humility Call upon him, and he will raise you up. But what else does this Lord do? It is fine and dandy that he raises up the lowly, but there is a reversal here. What does he do with the proud? Jesus tears down the proud. Why should you exalt in the or why should you evoke joy for the miraculous conception? Why should you have this joy? It is because Jesus tears down the proud. It's an old testament. A prophet is how Mary concludes her song. Start with the righteous and now go to the wicked. The proud in the Bible are always associated with the wicked. Those unrighteous, those who deny God, they are the proud. Those who are so proud they need not God. What happens to them? Verse 51, he was shown strength in his arms and he scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalts those of a humble estate what does the lord god do with the proud through the work and ministry of the son he humbles the proud he shatters their thrones and he strikes them down it is why some of the disciples as the ministry of jesus takes off he expects they expect jesus to assume the throne in Jerusalem. They expect that he will tear down the Roman Empire. They misunderstand. They have such a small, narrow scope of what the Savior will do. But what will he do? He will crush his enemies. We have um, anthropomorphism here. It's giving human-like qualities to something that is not strictly human. We see this in our Disney movies or whatever you watch with cartoons. Every cartoon has... Some anthropomorphic animal or toy uh, it 's the what we love we, we love our blueies and our shows that are there and like it. We love animals that are like humans well there 's an anthropomorphism here the shown the strength of god 's arm. he will use that arm to scatter. The proud. This is not a literal sense. This is not trying to communicate to you that the Lord will reach down from the heavens through the clouds and pick Caesar up and throw them in the ocean. That is not the idea conveyed here. He will use, as he has always done, his mighty arm, his great voice to tear down those who are against him. You think of the various examples throughout the Old Testament, whether that be the strength of God's arm as he frees the Israelites from Egypt and drowns Pharaoh's armies as they travel through the sea. You think of the Philistines after David slays Goliath, they scatter. They scatter like mice found in a home. Or you think of Nebuchadnezzar who's brought so low that he eats like a cow in the field, taken from his throne, sent down and down low. The Lord has a role reversal here. The humble are made great and the proud are made low. they are not the only ones made low in this passage that same verb take down also appears much later in the gospel luke 23 verse 53 when joseph arimathea takes down the lord from his cross there's a striking connection here as the lord takes down the haughty from their thrones In Jesus' throne of degradation, the cross itself, he will be taken down. And in that lowly throne that he hangs upon, he'll be called the king of the Jews. But that is not where it ends for him, as you all know. Though he will be taken down from the cross, in his humbled estate, he will raise up high. High and exalted. There's this great reversal where the low will be made great and the great will be made low. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his comments on this passage, says this, When the King of kings and the Lord of lords comes into the world, he came into a stable. If you do not feel the sense of holy laughter within you, I do not see that you have a right to think that you are a Christian. Thank God this is the gospel. This is salvation. God turning upside down, reversing everything we have ever thought to be true, everything we have taken pride in. The mighty? Why? He will pull them down from their seats. He has been doing so. He is continuing to do so. Let any man arise and say he is going how he is going to govern, and God will tear him down. You do not need to be afraid. He will be put down. Every dictator has gone down. They all do. Finally, the devil and all that belongs to him in this world will also perish and be put down. You got to know when Lloyd-Jones is preaching this text, in the midst of World War II, as Hitler's reign seems strongest, as he has galvanized throughout all of Europe, taking everything that he possibly could, Martin Lloyd-Jones pens this quote, the Lord will tear him down, and the Lord did. Hitler and all those who followed with him torn down, torn down with even the angels that had fallen. There's much injustice in our world. There's no doubt about it. You see injustice every day of your life, whether it be somebody cutting you off in the lane in front of you or much greater travesties. There is injustice all around us. But why we can see joy in the conception of the Lord Jesus Christ is that He in His promise will tear down those who are proud. He will bring righteousness. It is said that The Lord shows mercy to those who are low, but offers justice to those who are proud. Those who are proud will get, in other words, what they deserve. The miraculous conception evokes joy. Because our Jesus is Lord, and because he is Lord, he'll make those who are low high and those who are high low. It's a true showstopper, then, that we have here in Act 1. As it comes to a close, like one more day in Le Mis, we see what will come after. Mary knows the gospel. She knows the son that she will bear. He will be one to save. And we know that she knows, as we have perhaps talked about last week, because of the Magnificat here, because she magnifies the Lord for what he will do through her and her child. The old covenant is done. The first act is finished. And now as we turn the pages through the rest of Luke, we will see the beginnings of act two, the new covenant to come. Whoever believes in Jesus then, I I call upon you today, be encouraged. There is joy to be found when you call Jesus as your Lord. He is the one that comes in a manger. The same one who Mary is called blessed for is the one that blesses you. You should have joy, evoked joy From the coming of the Son, because you are made no longer lowly, but you are lifted up. But this same showstopper, this same showstopper has a grave warning. If you do not know the Savior today, if you reject the Magnificat and all that comes with the Son that is born from the Virgin, the showstopper gives a great warning. You are the proud. Because you are the proud, you will be torn down. The enemies of God will be torn down and therefore there is a call, an urgent plea. Lower yourselves. Come down from the throne of the life that you've lived. Lower yourselves today. It's my plea as your pastor to you. Whether you've been a communicant member all your life and realize in the depths of your heart you do not know the Lord, I call upon you today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, but become like the lowly Virgin Mary 13, be eyeing it to the sign that would reveal to her, her son. May it be so today that the work of John would be applied to every one of our hearts. Call upon him today in joy and magnify the Lord as Mary did. Let's close in prayer. Our heavenly father, we thank you that through the son we would have life. We call upon him now We call upon those who perhaps don't know him that today, if you would soften their hearts and draw them to Christ himself. For we, O Lord, desire to magnify you even in our lowliest state. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.